Welcome to the Unbound Healing Podcast. I'm Anne-Marie Garland, nutritional therapist and health coach at Grassfed Salsa, and with me is my co-host Michelle Hoover, certified nutritional therapy practitioner and writer of everything you'll find at Unbound Wellness. Here we share everything about overcoming health challenges from autoimmunity to hormone imbalance and more with holistic living, mindset shifts, practical tips, and a real food paleo approach. Remember our disclaimer, the content within this podcast is intended to provide general information and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now let's get on with the show. The holiday intro is gone. I am so sad, but Before we get into today's interview, I have beyond exciting news for you guys. So Christmas morning at about 6 a.m., I had gotten a text from Anne saying that baby girl is here. She came Christmas morning. She's a little bit early, but not too, too much. Everybody's happy and healthy, and I am so excited. Um, A little Christmas baby is here and I don't know a ton of details. I did not pry and um, with too, too much. I don't know size or whether or not she has hair or her favorite football teams, anything like that. I don't really know a lot, but Anne will be back soon with all of that information for you guys. And I am so happy for Anne and James and this new little baby blessing that they have in their life. Um, and I just can't wait to keep hearing more. So Anne and I pre-recorded a ton of episodes for you guys. So you won't miss a beat here on the podcast. And today we have a really exciting and very timely interview for you guys with Liz Wolf. Yes, Liz Wolf. And we are talking about pregnancy and conception on a real food diet. So if you don't know who Liz is, Liz is a certified nutritional therapy practitioner and health writer who is passionate about real food, safe beauty, and nurturing babies and parents too. She's the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Eat the Yolks and the Purely Primal Skincare Guide. And she's the co-creator of the upcoming Baby Making and Beyond program. You guys probably know her from the Balance Bites podcast, her blog, Real Food Liz. Ann and I are both huge fans. We loved doing this interview and it's a really great one. So we hope that you guys love it too. Let's go talk to Liz. All right, Liz, we are beyond excited to have you here today. Thank you for coming on. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. So something that we like to start our podcast off with is just with something that you are loving lately. So is there something you're into recently? Okay. Is it require what is what's the requirement? Does it have to be edible or <laughs> super broad? So like okay. anything from you know, food to anything else you can think of, anything else that you could possibly be into. We are not strict here. (laughs) Okay. Not strict. Okay, good. Can I do two things? Yes. One food and one skincare related? Yeah. Okay. We are so into that. Okay. This is fun. So food wise, I'm just, this is just like chicken soup weather. So I'm really into like a really, really like, I don't know, just nourishing, like salty, 
herbaceous chicken soup. And since that's somewhat boring, I'll give something more exciting skincare wise. Um, I'm, I'm kind of into like DIY skincare, but not like, not so much the crunchy stuff. Like I'm not whipping up my own tallow balms. I have some favorite companies that do that. But what I like to do is get like the scientific active ingredients and combine them with skincare that I already have. So one of the things I've been doing lately, or one of the things I did recently was to get some just pure CoQ10 from skinactives.com. And I added that to my, um, CX vitamin C serum from Primal Life Organics. And it's a little orangey, but I love it. CoQ10 is so amazing for skincare. And, um, that's just a really cost-effective way to, uh, to boost the effectiveness of your oil-based serums. It is so cool. Uh, yeah, I thought I was cool over here making my own like lip scrub. <laughs> like, look, I'm cool. Sugar on my face. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we should have you on again to talk about skincare at some point. Anytime. I love that. I, you know that, have you ever heard the word multi-passionate? <laughs> yep. That's I kind of hate that word because it's so like... <laughs> I don't know. It's so just self-aware. I don't know. There's something about it that makes me be like, Bleh. but I do feel like I'm like, I love the skincare stuff. I love talking about it. I love the mom and baby stuff so much. And I guess it's just my life at the moment. I'm trying to not age and also take care of a child. So it makes sense that I'm, that I'm all into both of those things. So anytime. Sweet. All right. Well, we are going to just hop right into the episode and we wanted to start out talking about fertility and then we can kind of move into pregnancy questions. So a lot of our listeners have autoimmune diseases and some have mentioned that they're curious as to how that can affect the fertility and pregnancy. So is there anything they need to be aware of or do to support themselves? So not being like the autoimmune gal, you know, I feel like there's a whole contingency of people in the real food community that are just autoimmune. They're just studying these things. And so I feel like the way I look at it might be a little bit more broad. Maybe that can be a good thing sometimes, maybe not. But just from what I know of the literature, I mean, in pregnancy, it's kind of um, a lot of people talk about how during pregnancy, you know, you're immune system kind of gives you a little bit of a break when you have autoimmune disease, but it really actually depends on the autoimmune condition that you have. So that kind of depends. Fertility is a little bit less clear to me. There are a lot of suggestions floating around out there in some literature about how autoimmune disease um, is associated with reduced fertility. But the question I ask myself is, what are the other markers we need to look at that tend to occur with autoimmunity that would also be related to fertility. So for me, what I like to look at would be estrogen and cortisol in part because it kind of looks like cortisol drives can drive estrogen, like a overabundance of estrogen. Also because we know that there are some autoimmune diseases that seem to occur against the backdrop of elevated estrogen. Um, this also would involve your cortisol and melatonin circadian rhythms. Um, so if you are dealing with any kind of estrogen dominance or um, if, you, if you have the opportunity to track your estrogen or do some kind of hormone testing around that, Dutch testing would be really good, um, but that's really, really expensive also. Um, if you're able to kind of tackle estrogen 
keep an eye on estrogen at the same time you're tackling your autoimmune condition. I think that can be really, really powerful. And estrogen can be a really good marker of, of where we are, at least estrogen in relationship to other hormones in your cycle. Um, one of the really interesting things that I found is, and I'm going to say it wrong, and I always forget whether it's methane or um, indole-3-carbonyl. Do you, th- you guys think I say it so, said those right? I'm usually yeah, reading them. Yeah, that's how I say it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> usually you're reading these things and not actually saying the words. But yeah, It's not a very um, conversational thing. It's really not. It's not one of those things that you tend to um, chat about during the course of a normal day. But I have seen some really interesting um, studies and suggestions around diendylmethane um, as a like a a regulator or a helpful, um, I guess you could just call it a regulator of estrogen, helping your body detoxify like the bad estrogens and support your hormonal balance and specifically as it relates to autoimmunity. I don't know the mechanism behind that, but that I feel like would something be something that would be well worth talking to your practitioner about, whether that's something appropriate during fertility. But I, I just think, and I think that the autoimmune um, community is talking about this a lot. So I'll just reiterate it. I think one of the most important things you can possibly do to support yourselves in fertility, whether you have an autoimmune condition or not, is to reduce your stress in any way you possibly can, which is really hard. As a mom right now, I feel like I have no opportunity to reduce my stress. And thus I am incredibly stressed about my stress because I'm just itemizing in my head all the millions of ways that it could be affecting me negatively. And I'm like, but there's nothing I could do. I'm screwed. But there's always something you can do. We do have some control. Absolutely. So if you can manage your sleep, your melatonin circadian rhythms, you know, going to sleep at the right time, um, managing your, your screen exposure in the evenings, things like that, and also managing your stress, thus managing your cortisol, that's probably the most powerful thing you can do even above and beyond food, especially since we know now that autoimmune conditions may be associated with like early life trauma. There is a stress component to autoimmunity that I think we're just starting to understand. Um, And I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm so interested in how autoimmune disease is affecting fertility because I've so many different friends right now who are dealing with unexplained infertility and it's just heartbreaking. It's such a terrible thing to watch and, mm-hmm. and really not be able to offer up any advice for them. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad to be able to point them to your suggestions. I think they're all really great. Um, so what can a woman, whether she's suffering from autoimmune disease or not, what can she do with her diet and even her lifestyle? I know you talked a little bit about some lifestyle things to support her body for a healthy conception. Well, the basics would be tons and tons of leafy greens for folate and magnesium and liver, if you can stomach it, for choline, vitamin A, arachidonic acid, and iron. And the really cool thing about liver, and I just hate this because I'm, right, I'm working on this like fertility pregnancy program. I've, I've been working on it for three or four years. Why do I feel like I sound like the delicious dish ladies right now? My voice like... <laughs> Really, really calm. Um, I love it. <laughs> so weird. I think it's because we've got a little bit of a throat tickle right now. But it's the soothing. cool thing about liver, what's that? Soothing. Soothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I really was just thinking like, 
if I'm like inviting new people into the fold and telling them to eat liver, I'm like, I have to really, really like prepare people for this recommendation because I think we come to it with more of an open mind from within the, the whole food ancestral lifestyle community. But the cool thing about liver is it like has all these amazing nutrients and all of the cofactors for your body to use them. Um, one of the really cool things that I've, that I've read from some of the researchers that I'm working with on this program is that vitamin A administered with iron is incredibly effective in resolving anemia, much more so than iron alone. And that's not a huge surprise because vitamin A kind of helps your liver release stored iron, but liver is just so miraculous and that it has all of these nutrients all together in one place. You don't need a ton of it, but if you can just find a way to get it down, that's amazing, especially since a lot of folks just will not and cannot stomach that during the first trimester. Um, really focusing on choline, again, in liver and in egg yolks. There's some in, in cauliflower. Um, so diet-wise, it's those staples, trying to work those in as much as you can. Um, cleaning up just kind of the yucky stuff, the, you know, anything out of a box or a bag or a package that you're just like, this has some weird ingredients. I probably shouldn't do this. And I don't want people to be too hard on themselves because getting pregnant and pregnancy is hard enough. So one of my suggestions is like work in the good stuff and maybe try and switch out the bad stuff for something a little bit less bad. So if you're eating Oreos, maybe get like Newman's own cream filled chocolate cookies instead of, you know, something with hydrogenated fats in it. So I, and I love for people to focus on fertility nutrition, but I think what a lot of practitioners will tell you is, gosh, and we all kind of have to learn this the hard way, I think. You work with people and you get them on these perfect diets and you're like, okay, why isn't this working? And it's because the lifestyle's not in place, the sleep, the stress. And that's when you send them out to you know, a transcendental meditation instructor or acupuncture or just go take a walk outside and forget about your troubles. I just think the lifestyle part I swear to you, is probably 90% of the battle. And that's coming from someone who like exclusively focused on food for a very long time and saw a lot of good improvements, but wasn't entirely happy with like how much improvement I got. It was like, we should be able to squeeze more blood out of this stone. And so that's where you look at the lifestyle stuff. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is a balance between all of those, but I know for me personally, I think stress reduction was the biggest impactor in my mm -hmm. healing journey. There's an app called Expectful that is like a meditation app. And I think you can use it for preconception and during um, like prenatal and even postpartum. So cool. that's like a, yeah, it's a really cool app that I learned about recently. So that could be something that somebody could add to their like toolkit. Yeah. Um, okay. So hormone balance. So hormone balance obviously is going to play a huge role and, um, lots of women don't even really know where to start because their doctors give them very little insight. Mm -hmm. So what kind of doctor would you recommend that they seek out? Is there like a specialist that you would recommend to help with hormone balances or, um, testing that they should ask about questions they should be asking? This is so hard. It's so hard because I feel like I've spoken to as many, mm, so I don't want this to come off antagonistic, but I feel like a lot of 
practitioners, doctors are kind of billing themselves as holistic or, you know, whatever. And they're actually really not. I, I love them for trying. Um, but I think to be holistically minded and to have a holistic bent, you have to have, you know, a little bit of education in that realm versus just being like, oh yeah, I mean, we try to avoid antibiotics when we can at this office. You know, it's just like, mm, that, that's not enough. Um, and at the same time, I think there are holistic practitioners that kind of bang the same drum over and over and apply the same uh, protocols to everybody. And it's, it's not necessarily helpful. So I think you just have to continue to look for that diamond in the rough, whether it's a doctor, whether you want an MD that'll help you figure stuff out or whether you're open to whomever, whether, you know, it's a Reiki practitioner or a nutritional therapy practitioner or whatever it might be. It's just, you just have to keep looking and finding somebody that you're comfortable with. And I feel like that you, that you resonate with. Um, that's been kind of the biggest challenge for me. And at the same time, I've had to learn to empower myself. And luckily we have some resources and I'll share them right now. Um, empower myself to carry out some of my own testing. And once I get some of these results back, then I kind of learn as I go. I look at them and I find, um, somebody that can interpret my Dutch hormone test, or I bring my, full thyroid panel to my doctor who only wanted to order, you know, the general, like more limited um, thyroid testing that most practitioners, practitioners will order TSH and whatnot. Um, so one of the more effective ways that I've been able to actually make some progress myself is to, and it depends on what state you're in, some states you can't do this, but to order via request a test or direct labs. Um, I ordered a full thyroid panel, um, red blood cell magnesium. I believe I ordered folate, red blood cell folate, and a couple others from request to test just went out. Oh, and vitamin D went out, got those tests, paid out of pocket for them, which is tough, but sometimes that's just, you know, sometimes there's a price tag on getting better and that stinks, but, but sometimes we just have to figure it out. Um, so got those results back, looked at them myself, did some doctor Googling, asked a couple folks that I trust, and then took those to my doctor and said, I'm concerned about this because of this. And you can actually point to something on a piece of paper that says out of range, or you can point to a study or the American Thyroid Association that says even tests that are within range might still pose a risk for miscarriage. So you kind of have to connect these dots sometimes and hand them to your practitioner on a silver platter. Sometimes it still doesn't work out the way you want it to, and you have to switch to the next person, but that's okay. Um, the latest thing that I've ordered is the Dutch, um, it's urine hormone testing. And it's probably one of the better uh, ways to get actually a really good view of what's going on with your hormones. Cause a lot of conventional hormone testing is actually not all that telling. So uh, the Dutch test is really good. It's expensive. So, you know, you can start putting your quarters away um, and saving up for that. But I think that's probably my favorite way to go is get a lot of those tests myself and not wait for somebody to tell me what they will or will not order for me. I totally yeah. agree. Definitely. I'm so I'm the, I'm the one here that either does not have a child or is not pregnant. So <laughs> good I for you. Very, <laughs> I, I I want to. I have a very needy cat here on my lap right now. It's basically like a baby. But <laughs> I'm that person. It's like my cat's my needy. So <laughs> it I totally do. is though. I, I get it. I do. We do want to have a baby sometime within the next year or two years or 
foster something like that. We do mm-hmm. want a child in our home. And I struggled a lot with this, you know, this question of where do we even start with hormones? Because I was going, I had hormone imbalance myself. I have Hashimoto's as my background. So I have hormone imbalance pretty much ever since I, you know, hit puberty. And I was going to doctors and it was like, okay, birth control and just like get out and shut up and leave. And so many women that I talk to that send me messages say, you know, they don't even know where to start with hormones because we're not empowered through doctors. And when we, even when we had like sex education in high school, it's like, you don't really learn about hormones. You don't really learn about your body. So I've had to do this whole kind of doctor hopping thing because Mm -hmm. I deal with, you know, ongoing hormonal imbalance. I'm still working through estrogen dominance and low progesterone, and I'm working through that every month. Um, And I've hopped through doctors, but I agree that the best thing that you can do is just empower yourself to learn like, okay, what do my symptoms really mean? Like if tracking your estrogen, you can very easily track, you know, if you're really in tune with your body and you're really listening to what it's telling you, you can kind of figure out like, okay, these are the kind of things that I want to talk to somebody about. These are the Mm -hmm. kind of things I want to get tested for. So I totally agree that so many people, you know, just want to sit there and be like, okay, what's the doctor going to tell me? What are they going to test me? And it's hard in the beginning because you go into a doctor's office and you say, I have this and they'll brush you off or they won't give you a test. Mm -hmm. You have to empower yourself to do that. But women listening that are in my situation and they don't have children yet, they're working towards getting pregnant or thinking about working towards whatever it is I'm doing. Um, (laughs) not thinking about not ever getting pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. It me and my husband are fighting over who is going to lose their office. We're at that point. Um, (laughs) we're at that. No, never mind. But, um, but yeah, so we're at that point, but for women, I, I think that's amazing advice that are listening to this is just take that. Okay. What can I learn about myself, empower myself to do um, the research on my own and doing your own testing. Yes. Yeah. And I'm curious. Go ahead. Um, well, so is your program, your online program that you're creating, is that going to guide people through the types of tests that you just mentioned, like everything they should look for or how to analyze their own Dutch test when they get the results back? So what we're hoping to do is coordinate with practitioners outside of the program who can help people because at a certain point, like, we just we just have to stop and act, put the program out there for people to have it instead of continually trying to do more with it. Um, and also in part because like it's just you need somebody that's been doing this and seen the results with people over and over. Um, because I think one of the things that we forget about is you can look at a chart, but you want to talk to somebody that's actually done this and seen how the different interventions work. It's kind of that um, – yeah, this is what the textbooks say, but this is what I see after years of working with people. This is what works. So we're hoping to find some really great practitioners that do that. Um, she doesn't know it yet, but I am going to re- reach out to Zesty Ginger sometime really soon oh. because I know she interprets the Dutch testing mm-hmm. and maybe we can get an interview with her for the program. Um, <clears throat> what we really want from the program is to be, oh gosh, I was, I was thinking of a tagline today in the car and I was like, I want to be your, your trusted mom friend or like your go-to mom friend 
who employs five different PhD researchers to answer the questions that she wants to know because I don't really know anything, but I know how to find the people that do. Um, so that's kind of the, the direction that we're taking with it. Um, and I have some amazing people that we're working with. What I wanted to add there, and I'm so guilty of being just this armchair quarterback where I'm like, yeah, you should be doing this and I'm not actually doing it. I'm working on it. But the meditation piece, I haven't really figured out how to do that yet. I'm just not somebody that like shuts up, slows down and like feels my feelings. But when we talk about these things like doctor hopping, figuring this out, figuring that out, it just comes with this like rising cortisol level. Like even thinking about it, talking about it, like this is going to be a tough journey. And if I move this piece, that piece is going to fall off. And, you know, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who's going to help me. I don't know what this means. Just employing, finding some kind of just calming moment by moment, like centering routine through all of that is so, so critical because stress doesn't hit you like first thing in the morning, you're meditating for five minutes. Well, that's not where your stress is going to hit you during the day. It's great to set that foundation, but you have to kind of recenter as you go through the day. And that's something that I'm you know, struggling with and trying to figure out what's going to work for me. Expressive writing has been really, really helpful as something to do in the evening just to kind of get rid of all of those crappy feelings from the day. Um, I did a podcast for Balanced Bites with Dr. David Hanscom where we talk about expressive writing. Um, it's very easy. You just basically dump out all your feelings on paper at the end of the evening and then you tear them up. That's very important. The tearing up part because you don't want to wallow. You don't want to save these bad thoughts. You want to get rid of them and throw them away. And that's been really transformational for me. So just as we talk about all these things, like remember that, like when you feel that stress rising and that worry happening and that looking 10 years down the road where you're like, I'm going to be 47. I'm not going to have any children. And everyone's going to be asking me at Christmas. Like you just have to, you know, center and calm. I totally agree. Yeah. And stress reduction and that whole thing, it's a mindset and a lifestyle rather than like, yeah, I have this five minute thing I do every morning where I Mm -hmm. do this breathing meditation. Yeah. It's looking at your life and your problems in a different way. And I have my own outlooks on this for sure. But what I always tell myself is that there will always be something and there will always be some sort of problem. Mm-hmm. But it's just working through that day by day as it comes. That's yeah. a really good way to put it. There will always be a problem. And it, like meditation isn't about stopping the problems. It's about like working through feeling it. Feeling yeah. them differently, I guess. Yeah. 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 There's no turning away from problems at the end of the day and bad things happen to good people and you know bad things are kind of always happening and it's not necessarily anything you did wrong or anything you can do to change even maybe it's just something you have to work through but Mm -hmm. that's what I try to tell myself yeah that expressive writing podcast um side note was super super compelling so I would recommend everybody go listen to that one that was one that I actually went home and like told my husband to listen to because yeah it was really great. It was so powerful. amazing. So, I wasn't sure how many people it would actually apply to because Dr. Hanscom is a spine surgeon and his specialty is helping people with chronic pain, back pain. And I was like, well, that's probably a pretty small subset of who we're reaching with the podcast. But what I wanted to communicate to people is that expressive writing helps everything because it's dealing with the stress response in your body and the negative neuropathways associated with stress. And yeah, I mean, I, it's one of my favorite books and one of my favorite interviews for sure. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially for our audience who are dealing with chronic health issues in general, and they are dealing with chronic pain, I think it would be a really great suggestion for them to go listen to that. So Mm -hmm. we'll link to that in the show notes. Do we want to move on to talking about pregnancy? Yeah. This is something I've always heard from growing up. This is when I was like birth control solves all of the hormones is <laughs> just go to Walgreens and find a women's prenatal vitamin and walk out with that and you're good. And supplements are important. I mean, we want to be getting high quality when we can, but we want to be focusing on real food too. So what are the crucial nutrients that pregnant women should be focusing on rather than just going and grabbing a prenatal vitamin? And where can they be found in real whole foods forms? What are the best ways to get them? Well, I mean, if that's the best you can do is go to Walgreens and get, you know, nature's sunshine prenatal, then I mean that's great. Do do the best that you can with what you have. It's so maddening because, I don't know, maybe we have some kind of selection bias in this community where we all come in like a little bit less healthy than that guy down the store, that girl down the street that's lived on McDonald's for 20 years and has six extremely healthy kids, you know? Like, Very true. Yeah. It's, it's like true. what we think about the things and we come to the things that we come to for a reason. You know, for me, initially, I think it was mostly like my skin and I wanted to stop yo-yo dieting. I wanted to fix my acne and stop yo-yo dieting. But I've got friends that have never had a skin problem at all that eat whatever they want and take those prenatals from Walgreens and have incredibly healthy kids. So, you know, it's, it's really about, you know, self-knowledge, doing the best that you can. Um, if you've got the headspace and, you, and, <laughs> and you're willing to do more, that is amazing and it definitely can't hurt. Um, and for many people, it's, it's critical to do um, a little bit more to have a healthy pregnancy. So for me, the crucial nutrients, gosh, it's all of them. Um, but I think the ones that are most commonly deficient, just based on our modern food system and the things that most people tend to gravitate towards on a daily basis, I think what we really need to focus on is absolutely folate, I think that's really, really important. We know that doctors tell folks to take folic acid supplements, which I've had um, Amanda Torres, who is a brilliant. She's a neuroscientist and she um, her website is The Curious Coconut. She did Latin American Paleo Cooking Book, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. She's brilliant. And she um, has been doing a ton of research on folate and MTHFR for my baby parenting program. And what we discovered and what she discovered is that a lot of scientists like that have nothing to do with the ancestral health community are really like strenuously objecting to the use of um, folic acid as a um, fortification strategy. So what they're saying is this long-term like constant exposure to synthetic folate in the form of folic acid is actually probably causing more population-wide problems than we even realize are associated with it. Um, and while some people can um, convert folic acid to folate, to methylfolate, effectively there's a ton of um, genetic variability and a ton of nutrient loss in that conversion process, and it's not really very reliable. So to the degree we can, we want to get folate in its natural whole food form, in part because it comes in many of the, there are many different forms of folate um, in, in food and you get 
all of those when you just eat them with real whole food versus just synthetic purified folic acid. So rambling. Anyway, the point is fresh leafy greens are an amazing source of folate. Um, the bummer is we all know that leafy greens are really important. However, folate rapidly degrades when frozen. So frozen spinach is not going to be the best source of folate. And that's like a huge bummer for me because I'm so bad at getting through all of my salad greens. They all end up rotting at the bottom of the you know, Tupperware container. Um, but to the degree you can have a ton of leafy greens every day. Um, legumes are an okay source if you're, if you're into that. And of course, liver is a wonderful source of folate as well. Um, other crucial nutrients, I think zinc is really important, but so is vitamin A in combination with zinc. Um, that is, oh gosh, I can't remember what study we were looking at, particularly I think in breastfeeding. Um, oh gosh, I sh I'm not going to, I'm actually not going to try and summarize it because I'm going to do it wrong, but basically they're really important to get together, vitamin A and zinc. Magnesium is really important. You get that from your leafy greens. I think a lot of people focus a little bit too much on calcium, which is interesting to me because I don't believe that the calcium requirement increases all that much, um, at this different phase of life from pre-pregnancy to pregnancy and breastfeeding, but magnesium is always critical. And like many, many people are deficient and don't even know it. So I think rather than obsessing too much over calcium, particularly like in isolated form, maybe we look at keeping magnesium and calcium in balance and maybe adding like a topical magnesium. I really like activation products, topical magnesium. I think that's great. Um, vitamin D is wonderful. I love getting that from the sunshine. The great thing about um, the getting vitamin D from the sun is that you can't really overdose on it. You can't take too much. You can't throw anything out of balance. Um, vitamin D testing from request to test is really, really affordable. And one of the things, so I, I personally think if you can only afford a few tests just to kind of see where you're doing, how you're doing wellness wise, vitamin D and red blood cell magnesium are really affordable. I think vitamin D is like 25 bucks or something. Maybe it's a little more than that, but I think it's under 100. It's a relatively easy test to do. And if you come up with really low magnesium and really low vitamin D, then you have some like targets to work on. You get more sun. You start with that, that uh, magnesium, and that can make a huge difference just right out of the gate. You get those in line, and then you test red blood cell folate to see how you're doing. But I think those are probably the two like initial tests that folks can do with pretty little investment. And then there's choline from egg yolks and liver and DHA from fish and fish eggs and, you know, everything's important. <laughs> yeah. So magnesium is one for me that has been really profound at helping almost every pregnancy symptom that I've come across, like restless leg syndrome and mm -hmm. middle of the night wakings and bad dreams and just so much. It didn't help my my first trimester food aversions and nausea, unfortunately, but well, anyway, it's helped pretty much everything else. We can't have it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've been hearing recently, since I've been talking more about my pregnancy, I've been hearing from ladies who they either started their pregnancy paleo or AIP, but then because of the first trimester being so difficult on them um, with morning sickness and food aversions, they reverted back to their standard American diet. So do you have any thoughts to share with those women who are maybe like beating themselves up about that or worried about it? Um, my thoughts are don't beat yourself up because you're fine. 
Um, we put so much pressure on ourselves and there's going to be plenty of pressure after the baby is born to do everything right. So just save that for later. Don't even, don't even worry about it right now. Um, the human body is an amazing thing. And yes, what we eat and what we do can affect our babies, but our body is also extremely protective of our babies. So I think what kind of, I think the mentality of like, well, I've screwed it up. Now I'm screwed. Like just, I'm not even going to worry about it anymore. I think that affects women in all phases of life where, oh gosh, I had one bite of whatever it is. So now I'm going to have, you know, 10 sleeves of Oreos. I don't know why I'm so like on Oreos today. I never, oh my gosh. never even liked Oreos. And isn't, don't I yes. all the time? It's yeah. so funny because every time I'm like random conventional food, I'm like Oreos. <laughs> so weird. Gummy <laughs> bears, whatever. I don't know. Actually good. gummy bears maybe might be like secretly keeping people somewhat healthy if they're still actually yeah. made with gelatin, but they're probably yeah. not. And if you do it right, you can make some pretty healthy gummy bears. Yeah, you can. I mean, my thought is just like, (laughs) I've tried, trust me. (laughs) You can change anything, anytime. And the baby pulls from your reserves during the first trimester. I mean, it's going to be okay. Just, just release some of that pressure from yourself. And I think it'll be easier to get back on track. Are there any tricks that you know of to help ease aversions and nausea? I think there are a lot of miracle cures proffered, and I've never, ever seen one thing work for absolutely everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the most interesting ones to me are uh, loricidin, um, which I think I'm – going to say this wrong. I believe loricidin is thought to um, tackle what H. pylori. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, given that for some women, H. pylori could be a cause of morning sickness, that would be effective. Um, Ginger to calm the stomach. I really like nettle tea. I think that's something I really like um, to tell folks to try to drink throughout their pregnancies. It's so mineral rich. It's extremely nutrient dense. And it's just one of those things like instead of water all the time, have some nettle tea. Those are probably the ones that I've seen the most success with. That's the one that I did not try. Like literally, I feel like I tried every single thing that I could possibly try um, except for nettle tea. I don't even remember seeing that anywhere, but I am going to look into H. pylori getting tested for that um, before I get pregnant next to see if if maybe there is a connection there because Mm. I had severe, severe morning sickness. And loricidin is really easy to take. So that's, that's the benefit to it. It's not a huge like capsule that you have to choke down. Mm -hmm. And so that wouldn't be, we're going to talk, well, we can talk about that next, but, um, treating different infections that you might have or overgrowths. So would that not be something that you would be concerned about suggesting to somebody taking loricidin to try to, well, that's kind of why I always tell people like, here's this idea, take it to the person that actually knows what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Because my general thought is you don't want to dump a bunch of toxins when you're pregnant or when you're breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Um, Totally agree. But I'm I'm just not all that well-versed in that. But I think you you have to have this conversation with your practitioner before you jump on the train. Yeah. The hard thing is, so for me, I'm dealing with, well, I'm actually curious as to whether it's a candida overgrowth or not at this point, because my body isn't really responding um, to the protocols that I'm working on, but I'm even working with midwives and nobody really knows what to tell me. Like they're all like, Oh, I've never heard of a candida 
protocol being researched while someone was pregnant. So I don't really know what to tell you to do. You yeah. know, like even people who I feel like are more holistically minded don't really know. And yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Some people that are holistically minded don't know what Dutch testing is and they don't yeah. know how to like read a, a hormone chart. So my mm-hmm. midwife is amazing and I love her. She knows how to deliver babies. But I was like, do you know anything about this? She was like, no. What I love about her is that she will just say, no, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Good for you. Don't pretend like you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's how mine is as well. So you are kind of unclear on whether or not you would suggest somebody research like treating SIBO or gut dysbiosis or something like that while they're breastfeeding and and pregnant. Yeah, I am. I'm unclear. I mean, I think that my hope is always that you can catch people before they get pregnant, you know, and kind of bring them into this mindset beforehand and, and deal with that type of stuff ahead of time. But I also think, gosh, and this is not gospel. My gut tells me that if the body says yes to pregnancy, you don't have to, you have enough reserves and you have enough ability to nourish that baby to the point, to the appropriate point. You know what I'm saying? The body knows how to say no. And to some degree, the body is, you know, can compartmentalize, I guess. And this is really just kind of looking back on my experience working with folks and talking to people about this. The body is entirely interconnected. And one thing, I mean, we see this in the alignment community, like your big toe can be misaligned and your jaw gets thrown off. So the body's interconnected and so many different things affect others. But at the same time, you see the body compartmentalizing in some ways. So just because you have gut dysbiosis or candida doesn't mean it's going to affect your baby or your baby's long-term health or your ability to carry a healthy baby. So I think in in that situation as well, alleviating the stress surrounding a diagnosis or a suspected diagnosis is probably step one. You just say, you know, this is the stage of life I'm in now and I will, I will tackle that when I'm able to tackle it. I totally agree. I have been going through and I'm on the way out. It's working some mercury detox. Mm -hmm. And that was the main thing that I really wanted to address before I thought about having a baby. And my doctor said kind of the same thing of, you know, worry about it now. If you get pregnant, you know, it's likely that your body is healthy enough to carry a baby. And a lot of the time when you have, you know, SIBO or heavy metals or something like that, especially if it's long-term, it's kind of settled and it's not necessarily, like if you're not trying to detox it, it's not necessarily just kind of floating around everywhere in your body. Right. So it, it, case by case, of course, but I would not necessarily, if it were me at that time, I don't know if I would jump right into being like, oh, I'm pregnant and I have a mercury toxicity. Like I have to detox. Yeah. I definitely mm-hmm. like, okay, just kind of leave it. Yeah. My body you know, trusted me enough to get pregnant right now. I think that, yeah. And then you just kind of deal with it afterwards. And like you said, there are millions of healthy babies who had mothers with less than optimal situations. So mothers that never had a hair tissue mineral analysis. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 Many, many. So yeah, it may not necessarily even be something that's that as big of a deal as, you know, we can make it out to be. And like we said, that that stress factor is a lot Mm -hmm. more important than the maybe this SIBO is going to affect my 
pregnancy negatively. So I wish we had like a, like a chart or some kind of like condition on this hand and then the amount of stress that knowing about it causes on the other hand and which is worse. Like you just, yeah, yeah. it's, it's tough. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. What about, are you familiar with any information on whether it's safe to take adrenal adaptogens while breastfeeding or pregnant? Um, I was really excited that you asked this question. I don't know a ton about that. Um, in part because your body has kind of its own cortisol situation going on during pregnancy. Cortisol rises over the course of pregnancy. Um, but uh, Mommy Potamus, Heather Dessinger, who is one of my favorite people to follow, I love her. She's so, she's just so smart and so wise, and she has a ton of people that she works with to get really good science-based answers to a lot of the kind of crunchy community questions that a lot of people are asking. And she has a post on adaptogens where I believe she makes, um, she discusses safety during pregnancy and breastfeeding. So I love herbs. I think they're amazing. Um, I think it's really important to work with an herbalist if you possibly can, or, um, or at the very least, like have a really good idea of what you're taking, but I'm not sure whether, you know, all adrenal adaptogens, um, that I think it's probably okay, mm-hmm. but go, I, I put the note, um, for this post in the show notes so you can share that with your folks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's something that I'm, that I've been looking at recently because I'm a big sleeper and, um, oh. <laughs> that's like my biggest worry. <laughs> yeah. Can yeah. I throw in, this is totally off topic. Can I, I'm going to throw in something. Yes. Go for it. My, the most transformational thing in my entire life over the last two and a half years, I have a two and a half year old is, um, well, I guess I found it when she was about five months old, aware parenting. So part of what destroyed me, sorry to say this, but what destroyed me during the first at least year, um, postpartum was yes, the lack of sleep, but also the stress of feeling like, I don't know why this baby's crying. I don't know what to do right now. I'm, I am not equipped for this. Like, I cannot believe they let me take this baby home. This is ridiculous, et cetera. Uh, if I ever have another one, I feel that having aware parenting in my toolkit is, is going to be absolutely just change the game. So part of what aware parenting did for me was help me understand like the value of expressing certain emotions and it made me look at my baby in a different way. So especially for new moms, I think having that knowledge at your disposal, at your dispo, your disposable <laughs> thinking diapers, um, your disposal beforehand could be unbelievably powerful. And my friend, Laura Bruner from the modern mamas, the modern mamas podcast, she discovered aware parenting really early and just watching her walk through the postpartum period with her daughter. It's like, wow, I wish I had that because that would be me. Um, so just so maybe your adrenals will need a little bit less help during the lack of sleep. That might be something for you to look into. Yes. I've already started looking into it. I just started listening to part one of, uh, Laura's interview with, um, Eliza. Yes. Yes. Interview. Yes. So it's, yeah, it's something that I'm very excited about and it definitely resonated with me because it's not like the the cry it out, let no. them stress and figure yeah. it out on their own. It's like no. supporting them and making sure that they feel comforted while they're learning how to express themselves. It just all of it yes. just makes so much sense. It's phenomenal. And yeah. 
Yeah, I'm totally with you. I am manifesting Laura's relationship with her baby <laughs> like every single day because yes. just oh my gosh, magical. Totally magical. And you know, Aware Parenting is the, the woman who kind of founded it. She's a PhD in like child development. She's incredibly like sensitive to the needs of babies. She's one like an attachment pioneer. Like it's like attachment parenting on steroids where like it actually takes some of, no, I don't even want to say that attachment parenting on steroids. It's attachment based, um, but it takes an entirely different view on the expression of emotions because I had gone into parenting just thinking if my baby cries, I have to stop the crying and that's how you fix it. You make her feel better by stopping the crying. And when there's no noise, that's representative of no emotional pain, struggle, et cetera. But when I learned that crying is communication, that it is a way, it's an expression just like laughing or, you know, whatever, yelling or whatever, what have you. Um, And it's something that we can be present for and not look at like, oh God, I'm failing because this baby's still crying. I'm, I'm failing. The baby's unhappy and there's nothing I can do about it. It's not that at all. So yeah, if that resonates um, with folks that are listening, I'm sure, I'm sure it will, at least with a few. I don't, I don't feel like anybody could possibly hear the fact that they could like support their child through expressing their emotions and end up with like a happier child. And that could not be something that resonated with them. So yeah, it's a great suggestion. I'm glad you brought that up. It's Um, never just one thing. It's never just an herb or a food or it's just all the things. (laughs) Right. No, I totally agree. And I'm really excited about sharing your your program with our listeners. So do you have any ideas like a tentative date of when it might be coming out? Or what oh, Lord, I feel like I've given a tentative date so many times. <laughs> it never actually happens. We're working really hard right now. Um, it won't be out before 2018 mm-hmm. just because I don't want to add anything more to my tax situation. Ooh, yeah. um, I, I don't want to send anything else to the accountant. Um, but I really hope within the next few months, I think, I think that we can do it. What we've done is really stripped down the content. And so rather than giving people 10 pages of all the science, we're going to do a reference section if people want more information. And we're just going to give the pertinent like action steps that people will need. And I think something I got really hung up on for a long time was like, if I'm going to say something, then I have to explain the enti- I have to explain the citric acid cycle. Like, so you really get why I'm telling you this. And I don't think that's what people want. I think people just want some information. So they feel like they're better informed. And, um, you know, later on, maybe we'll put together like a practitioner course for folks that want to understand, you know, the methylation cycle and all of these things and why we're making the recommendations we're making. Oh, I would be all about that. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll put you on the list. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah, I've yeah, I'm all over yeah. this. I've been I've been waiting for a while, so I'm just patiently waiting and excited. It's like as my kid gets big, like I'm like, oh my gosh, we're about to like potty train, not potty train, but you know, we're like at that age. I'm like, I've been working on this for three years. How did that happen? That three years passed by. It's crazy. Yeah, I think it would be really funny for you to go back to your like email archives and see when I signed up for that. Oh my gosh. I swear I signed up probably the day you mentioned it. Oh, those kids, yeah. those people have four-year-olds. 
<laughs> like some of those people have kids that are going to kindergarten soon. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So I'm gonna have to get a whole new like <laughs> list of people that want it because I'm gonna email them and they're gonna be like, don't need you anymore. <laughs> Catch them on their next baby, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always room for improvement. So this was amazing. I am so excited to be able to share this information with our listeners. And I am, I feel so blessed to have you know, taking it all in myself as well. So something that we like to close the podcast out with um, is your meal of the week. So what is your favorite meal that you've been eating this week? You said the chicken soup. So yeah, maybe we should mm. drag and drop that or. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Okay. Well, how about this seems to be a favorite of people. Every time I talk about nachos, people are like really excited. Oh, yeah. This is a yeah. Old. You're talking to two Texans here. Okay. Well, I probably do it wrong. Um, but one of the Not things that we're. we're so oh, okay. But it's, you're like, I can have that chili. That's really freaking hot. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Texas chili is, I can't take it. Um, so one of the things that we're going to put in the baby program for sure is like how to cheat and like really enjoy yourself. Not cheat. I hate that word, but treat yourself. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had them in a while because I, you know, get on a kick and I, then I get off that kick, but nachos is one of my favorites because you can really kind of have a pretty decent, like nutrient dense meal with nachos if you make them yourself. So Jackson's honest sprouted red corn or purple corn chips, um, like some really nice grass fed cheese, um, sauteed onions and peppers, like a ton of them. And then some grass fed beef with like the balanced bites, taco seasoning or, or something like that. And, you know, a ton of avocado on top. You can, you can make a pretty stinking good meal and feel like you've really had something good at the end of the day. So that's, that's kind of my favorite. I don't know if I'll have it this week, but maybe now somebody else will. Yeah. Yeah. My husband is huge, huge, huge into nachos. That, that exactly what you described is what he does weekly. For me, so if good. I do nachos, I make like toastones and so it's like a way longer process. Uh, I don't understand you. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Daniel and my husband is like, yeah, same thing. But yeah, there's a lot of nacho making in this house. And I totally agree that you can, if you just get good quality ingredients, you can, you can make a really nutrient dense lasagna. You can make a really mm-hmm. nutrient dense nacho and yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and you you guys. This went really fast. Yeah. Well, that was good. <laughs> crazy. Sorry. I talked a lot. No, this oh, no. was great. Thank Thanks you guys. So- so awesome. Well, that's it for this week. You can catch us on unboundwellness.com, grassfedsalsa.com, and Liz, where can everybody find you? You can find me at realfoodliz.com. I'm most active on Instagram. Oh, yeah. All right. We're all on Instagram here. Okay. See you guys next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Unbound Healing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe in iTunes and leave us a review. Until next time, you can find more from me, Anne, at grassfedsalsa.com and more from Michelle at unboundwellness.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.